Hey, it's uh, good to be with you. Yeah, my name is Quentin, and uh, I am a CSF alum, and as they've said, I work at Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Uh, excited to, woo, uh, yeah, all my Sherwood Oak friends and family in the house. It's great. Uh, and being in, I totally forgot about being in five years of CSF photos. That totally tracks my Enneagram 3 uh, achiever personality. Uh, just got to be that overachiever in there. So anybody, any Enneagram people? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, there you go. All right. So where are my, th anybody threes? Oh, we got a couple. Yes. All right. There's my, there's my people in the house. Uh, anyway, so just a little bit about me real quick. If you don't know me, yeah, I've been on staff at Sherwood for the last four years, serving as the worship pastor at our Bloomington campus and just love what I get to do. Uh, my wife and I have been married for 10 years, Renee, uh, and we've got two kids. I think I got a picture up there. So if you want to know a little bit about my family, there's all my better parts of my family up there. Uh, but we've been married for 10 years now, and uh, we, I've been in ministry for 10 years now, which is really hard to believe. Uh, spent some time in Evansville and then went to Portland, Oregon for a few years to help with the church plant out there. And now God has us back here uh, working at Sherwood and just getting to be a part, uh, even in nights like tonight, getting to be a part of a ministry that meant so much to me uh, during my time at IU uh, a little over 10 years ago. And so what I love about this is just continuing to see generational faith grow, uh, just uh, like in parenting, getting to see generational faith grow. And uh, in having two kids, uh, my oldest is six and my youngest is about to turn three, Lincoln and Olivia. And I'm going to apologize up front if anybody gets really annoyed with people who talk about their kids a lot. Uh, because that's like all I know right now. We're in that season of just life and parenting where like kids just suck all the time and energy out of you. I don't know what time is it, like 8.30 right now? Uh, yeah, usually at this time I'm laying in bed like trying to get a kid to go to sleep, just like, you know, channeling my Iron Man, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. Uh, so it's great to not be in there tonight, but if you want to pray for my wife that she gets the kids to bed okay and that I come home and everybody's like in a civil mood, that would be great. Uh, so... Uh, kids are, you know, they're a lot of time, but they're so worth it. And one of the reasons that they're worth it is they provide a lot of great stories to share at their expense uh, that will probably end up putting them in therapy later because I'm sharing that with like large groups of people. But uh, there's a saying that your kids are going to end up in therapy for something you do to them. So it might as well be that I'm talking about them in church or church-like settings. Uh, so I'm going to actually start with a story about my daughter uh, that took place. And I'm not downing therapy. My wife is a therapist, so go therapy. Um, but anyway, I'm going to start with a story about Olivia tonight. Um, so she's in this phase as a three-year-old where she is discovering that she has opinions and she has free will. Uh, and she likes to exercise her right to free will and opinions all the time. And uh, this past summer, she, we potty trained her and that went great. Uh, but right now, a lot of those opinions come out uh, when she has to go potty. And she is really independent and wants to do it by herself. And so we'll be uh, last, I think it was last Friday, I was at home by myself with Olivia and we were playing and she said, daddy, I got to go potty. I said, okay, go, go to the bathroom. So she did, goes in there and a few minutes later, she says, all right, I'm done. Come take care of me. And so I go into the bathroom and she insisted, she then decided in that moment to change her mind and say, no, 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 actually I want to get down by myself. And so she's sitting on the toilet. And she's like, I'm going to get down by myself. And she's just tall enough that she can like kind of get up there and get seated fine. But then like getting down, it's like kind of that awkward, like got to shimmy off the toilet and then like not sure how to like get your feet to plant. And so me as the loving father, I'm like, no, 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 sweetie, let me help you get down from this. This is going to end poorly. Like I've seen this happen before. I know what's about to happen. She's like, no, I'm going to do it myself. Uh, and so, okay, fine. And so I let her proceed to um, like rock forward on the toilet. And as you can imagine, she ends up 
face down on the ground, like sunny side up. It's just, a, it's, it's a great moment. Like, and there's this like split second before I like check on my daughter where I'm like, I made this. <laughs> this is, I, this is my fault in some ways. Uh, <laughs> she was fine. It's okay. She wasn't hurt too badly, more emotionally than anything. But, um, I tell this story because in many ways, this whole like thing with my daughter really kind of illustrates like how I see the book of Jonah. Like that is Jonah's story. Like he has this idea of who God is and he wants God to behave in this way. He wants to be, he wants to be able to do what he wants. And when things don't go his way, he throws a temper tantrum. He gets hurt. He finds himself in these awkward, uncomfortable situations. And I'm sure none of you have ever been in situations like this before or behaved like a child. But I, I, this, is, this is the story of Jonah. Jonah is like a child in so many ways. Joe and Jack have done a great job uh, unpacking this book already. And so if you've not been here uh, the last two weeks, we've been doing this series on the book of Jonah. And so I encourage you to go to Spotify, look up the CSF podcast, uh, catch those two episodes because uh, it's really good stuff. And we're going to continue our trek through the book of Jonah tonight, looking at this man child. Uh, and... <laughs> It's the best description I got. Uh, but I mean, this book, it's hilarious. It's ridiculous. It's so outlandish in so many ways. It's so different from any other prophetic literature of the Bible. And when you read that, it should make you stop and go, why? Why is this story so out there? It is with every book in the Bible, I want to give this little like Bible study tip as you read the Bible, if you're new to it or if you've been reading it to years, this seems simple, but I want, to catch, I want you to catch the distinction here. The Bible was not written to us, but it is written for us. It is not written to us as the target audience. It was written to the Jewish nation, the Israelites alive at that time, whatever context, each book you read in the Bible has a different target audience, but the stories, the messages, the truths within it are for us in that we can glean something from them. We can gain insight into the character of God and into who Jesus is and the story that God is writing through humanity. I mean, it's like if you were to like read a love letter that I would write to my wife. It's clearly not meant to be written to you. I'm not writing the love letter to you. But if you were to read it, you could probably learn something about love, about relationships, about what it means to you know, love your spouse. But I'm not writing you a love letter. It's the same thing when we read the Bible. It's not written to us, but there are things we can learn. So tonight, if you've got your Bibles, let's open to Jonah chapter 2, uh, which is where we are tonight. And this is just kind of a little side note, uh, personal soapbox thing here. I'm a big fan of, per of hard copy paper Bibles over a phone. This is not to say if you don't have a hard copy Bible and all you got your phone tonight, that's great, but I'm gonna give you a free tip on how to uh, reduce anxiety tonight while we dig into God's word. There is this beautiful uh, focus and anxiety reducing feature, or focus enhancing and anxiety reducing feature if you uh, swipe down and press the little uh, moon thing. Like all the notifications and all those little like bubbles just like go away. Yes, my phone is broken, it's, it's okay. Uh, so if you've got your phones tonight, and if you're gonna be using that, I really encourage you, turn on Do Not Disturb. Let's focus in on what God has to say for us tonight and let's just, let's just be present in this moment and listen to God's spirit. So Jonah chapter two, let me pray for us before we uh, open this uh, text and then we're gonna get started. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truths that are found within it. And God, I pray now as we dig into Jonah chapter two, 
God, as we read this text, God, you would show us uh, where we can find ourselves in here, something that is for us in this as we read this story. God, it's ridiculous. It's funny. Uh, I love this book. God, thank you for these words. May they encourage us and edify us tonight. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet again, I shall look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head and the, at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But with a voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And then the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So just a reminder, last week we ended the story with Jonah being thrown overboard into the storm and being swallowed by this great fish or a whale as we've come to interpret it today. And now we find here in this chapter our protagonist alone in this dark, cramped, fishy underwater grave, uh, as he calls it Sheol, which literally means the abode of the dead. And Jonah begins to, well, he kind of begins to sing or like pray. This is almost like this is a very poetic prayer if you read this. Uh, and as a lot of scholars have called this, he's, he's reciting this prayer. He's saying this prayer from this pit of his own making. And Jonah ended up here for no other reason than his own immaturity and his stubbornness, much like my daughter ending up on the floor of the bathroom uh, because of her own stubbornness. And see, often our sinful choices and our choosing to reject God's calling on our lives and run from him put us in these kinds of situations like Jonah finds himself alone isolated, feeling cut off from the world and cut off from God, ultimately headed for Sheol, for death, for destruction. And the irony of this is, uh, throughout this prayer, this great fish, what Jonah sees as the source of his discomfort and the source of his grumblings is actually the thing that God is using to save Jonah and to show him mercy you see, were it not for the fish, Jonah would likely have drowned at sea, and instead he's getting a free ride. God has saved him through the fish. Now granted, he's getting kind of a cramped, stinky, like sushi-filled ride uh, to the place he did not want to go in the first place, and, but see, God could have appointed the fish to come and like smash him, could have let him drown at sea, could have chosen a different prophet who was willing to follow him from the beginning and get his mission accomplished. But God longs to show compassion to Jonah, not just the Ninevites. He longs for Jonah's heart. So he saves Jonah. And I'm grateful that this is who God is. Like he, he calls people and loves people who are unfaithful, who are unworthy of being called. And I mean, that feels like my story in so many ways. Like I, 
I feel like when I look back on my story, like I had no business being in ministry at 22, leading a church in worship, or like going to help plant a church at 26, knew nothing about that. Like just look like in that moment, you look back and you're like, who, who am I to do this? Or like now, even at 32, frankly, I look around a lot of times at my life, at my family that I'm responsible for leading and shepherding and loving the church I get to be a part of and the team that I get to be a part of. And I kind of get this sense of like imposter syndrome at times. Like, am, is this really like, I don't, I don't feel qualified for this, but I'm reminded in stories like Jonah that God doesn't look at all of our shortcomings and all of our failures. He still calls us in that moments and he longs for my heart. He longs for your heart. And so he's going to use this process, these moments where he calls us, he's going to use this to mold us and shape us and show us mercies like he shows Jonah in this story. So let's kind of walk uh, through some of the pieces of this prayer and then talk about uh, what it means for us today. So we're going to start uh, just verses one through seven really simply, uh, kind of like Jonah's kind of restating his predicament, you know, called to the Lord out of my distress. He answered me, kind of goes on all these things. Like he's really just kind of like complaining, <laughs> basically, almost. It's like, he's just kind of like, well, here I am in this pit. And, you know, you would think a normal, sane human being, like when you end up in a, in a thing like this, especially after what's already happened, like the storm and getting thrown over, you would think that when Jonah gets here, he would kind of have this like, as we like a come to Jesus moment and like realize like, oh, I, I messed up. But that's, that's not really what happens here. I mean, he has some bright spots in this prayer. You know, in verse four and in verse seven, he reminds himself of the promises of God in his life. In verse four, you know, he says, I will look again on your temple. And in seven, he says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and in my pr uh, prayer came to you in your temple. Like he knows that he can go to his God. So like, there's some things in here. But then in verse eight, there's almost this like kind of change in this like aside. You know, he says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. And this seems to me when I read this, knowing Jonah's heart, knowing the story and kind of where he's been and where he's going, this seems kind of like this comparison trap thing to say. Like, it's almost like Jonah's like in this, in this pit, like trying to find a way out, bartering with God, like, hey, like, I'm not as bad as those people over there, like that worship idols, like they, you know, they really forsake their hope, but I, like, I'm gonna, I'm still gonna sacrifice to you, like, and you know, he closes, says, you know, what I vowed, I will repay. You know, it's like he's trying to find these bright moments, like, I'm not as bad as them, God, so, you know, you should, you should save me out of this pit. And like, that, that doesn't really get him or us anywhere like this. And then the prayer ends with this declaration, you know, salvation belongs to the Lord. You know, again, now here, Jonah knows he knows where salvation comes from. It comes from God. Like, that's why he's crying out to God. But what's funny about this is when you, we kind of know the end of the story. Like, there's, a, I'm, I'm assuming a little bit, but just, you know, the end of the story, like, not to spoil too much for the week's coming, but, you know, Jonah goes and Nineveh repents and all this stuff. Like, he knows that he's been sent to be the voice of mercy and salvation on God's behalf. But Jonah's disdain for the people of Nineveh caused him to run. And that's why he ran in the first place, because he knows that salvation comes from the Lord. He knows that God is a merciful God. And he doesn't want to see that same mercy applied to these people that he doesn't like. But it's so, like, can you see the irony in this moment? He, he doesn't want to, like, share that salvation with these people, but he's crying out for that same salvation in this moment. Like, it's ridiculous, right? Like, this man, like, he's a man after, like, he's a man of God. It, by Jewish standard, he's a prophet. 
But somewhere along the way, like I see a problem in Jonah's life, somewhere along the way, he forgot to, or failed to internalize that covenant promise that was made to Abraham all the way back in the book of Genesis. Read these words with me. This will be on the screen. Genesis 12. Uh, the Lord said, I will make you, speaking to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now see, Jonah loved the idea that he was going to be blessed. He loved the idea of God's salvation belonging to him, of the promises of God being for him as a Jew. But he didn't like this whole, like, I'm going to go be a blessing part to my enemies. Like, he failed to take a hold of that in this moment. Like, that was kind of the core central identity of, like, what it meant to be an Israelite. Like, God had called them and set them apart, not just to receive the blessings, but to reciprocate those blessings to the world. Like, Israel was God's chosen voice of mercy and salvation and hope to a hurting world. And Jonah was trying to deny that to this part of the world. So before we kind of like start to look at some application stuff here, let me ask you this. And if I'm really looking for a few responses here. So when you read this prayer and you're thinking about being caught in a moment where things are like messed up and you're crying out to God, like what do you, what's missing? What element of this whole prayer, if you were to go back and look through Jonah chapter two, what element of this prayer is missing? There's some key ingredient that should like set Jonah's heart posture on a different trajectory that he doesn't do. Anybody got any ideas? Uh, maybe that could be part of it. What's some other stuff? Repentance. Okay. That's yes. So confession. Yes. Like this whole time, like Jonah's kind of like trying to like half-heartedly repent. And he's like, there's moments of thankfulness. Like you both use keywords. We're about to get to look at that. you like, know the story this is great. Uh, but like the thing he never does, like, especially in those beginning verses, he never confesses. At least, like, if we're, if we're going to assume for a minute that, like, these words contain, like, the sum whole of Jonah's heart in this moment and what he's going after, he never owns up and names his sin. If you read back through that, Jonah is lamenting his circumstances rather than his decisions that led to this moment. He's sorry he got caught. He's not sorry for running. And here again comes a parenting story. <laughs> Because Lincoln, my six-year-old, is at this stage in life where now he's figuring out that he can kind of like manipulate his sister into like acting up and like he can kind of push her buttons and, you know, eventually he'll push right up to a line where she'll kind of lash out and she'll do something out of anger because he's being a butt and she'll be the one to like that we first come running to because she's like hitting him or something like that. But like what he doesn't realize, like the failure in his logic is that I kind of wrote that book in his life like 27 years ago when I was his age on like manipulating younger siblings. So like I know what game he's playing here. Like I know what Lincoln's trying to do. He's trying, you know, he's trying to kind of get this like fill out of like, ooh. But then, you know, when Renee and I come in and we catch him in it, you know, he gets all worked up and, you know, he'll tell us he's sorry, but then he'll go right back to doing it again and trying to like push her buttons and getting her to lash out, which sometimes, you know, she does and she hits him upside the head and we just kind of let it happen because I'm like, well, you asked for it. This is what you're getting. But like, he's not really sorry, you know, when we, when we talk to him about like, hey, you need to apologize to your sister, he won't apologize to her, he'll apologize to us because he's sorry he got caught. Because then as soon as we're out of the room, he'll turn around and go right back to it. 
And that's what's happening to Jonah. Like in all these moments, like, and now this, this fish is no, like, you know, he's been thrown overboard. He's been eaten by the fish. He's sitting here like all these things have happened, but he's still not owning up to the fact that, man, God, like you asked me to do this and I'm not doing it. He never confesses. And so where I want to land tonight is kind of this antithesis of what, um, what Jonah uh, does and how he responds to God in this moment and kind of how we can look at this idea of true repentance. What does it mean to truly repent when we find ourselves in these moments caught in sin before God? And so the first one, as is on the screen, is confession. And then I see this all throughout Scripture. And so we're going to also look, in, by comparison, so Jonah kind of doesn't get it super right. We're also going to look here at someone who does it a little bit differently, David. And so without going into the whole story, if you know anything about King David uh, in the Old Testament, in the books of Samuel, um, David slept with another man's wife and then try, he got her pregnant, tried to get uh, her husband to sleep with him quickly so that everybody would think it was his child. That didn't work. So he sent him back off to war and had him murdered to like cover up the whole thing. Like this, what? Her. Yes. Whatever. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> slept with her. You know this, yes, you knew what I meant, sorry. Slept with her, killed him, it's a bad story. So what happens, <laughs> thank you. So what happens is God sends, wouldn't you know it, a prophet to call out David for his sin in sleeping with Bathsheba and murdering her husband. And so in Psalm 32, we get an insight into David's heart and what happens. Psalm 32, 5, David writes this song about this whole thing. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. There's a very different response here on the part of David compared to Jonah. When, when David's sin was exposed and called out, he owned up to it. And if you read that story in 2 Samuel, I mean, he's like, woe is me. Like, I have sinned. What do I need to do? And like, uh, Nathan kind of, the prophet Nathan pronounces judgment on him. And like, it doesn't absolve him of the, you know, the consequences, but his heart is made right before God because he begins in confession. He owns up to it. Jonah just complained about the fish ride and tried to tell God that he's better than those people over there. So he begged God to save him all while, all while making this half-hearted promise to fulfill his end of the deal. And so the second piece, uh, as you said, is thankfulness in repentance. So this is the part where after we've confessed, we accept God's saving work in our lives and realize that through Jesus, we are made whole again, and we can be in right standing for God. It's not of our own might that we are saved. Jesus does the work. Our thankfulness should flow from this posture of realizing what God has done, what he's promised to do, and that he is faithful even when we are faithless. And Jonah kind of gets this part right. Like you can see, like again, this head knowledge bit of like being thankful for what God has done in his life in, in all throughout uh, chapter two, uh, as you read it, you know, in verse nine, again, he says, you know, with the voice of thankfulness, I will sacrifice to you. Like he's thankful, but again, it's circumstantial because there's no confession. You know, in David in Psalm 32, as he continues on uh, in, in this Psalm of repentance and, you know, confessing, he, David says this, he says, deliver me from, from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You see, now the difference, again, devoid of true confession, Jonah's praise is more centered on his circumstance and not the fullness of of God's character. 
Because as the story continues, again, it's hard to not preach this part of Jonah without kind of like looking back and looking ahead in the story. So, you know, we're just, we're kind of covering all of it here. This is like a pivotal moment in the book. You know, in, in this moment, Jonah, like he ends up becoming very bitter at God for showing this same mercy to Nineveh. When your thankfulness and repentance is based on circumstances going the way you want, you've missed the point. And ultimately, you're going to end up with this like self-righteous attitude that causes you to compare yourself to others, think that you're you know, way more important than you actually are in this because somewhere deep down, you believe, with lacking thankfulness, you believe that you have something to do with your salvation. You have something to do with being made right before God. And here's the thing, like we have one tiny microscopic thing to do with our salvation compared to Jesus, and it's this to say yes to the free gift of grace that God, that Jesus offers through the cross. Like, that's it. That's our one responsibility in there. Like, that is what saves us, accepting it. Jesus did all the work, and if we begin any other place but thankfulness in that, like, we're, we're going to get off track. It's going to lead us down this path of self-righteousness. So when you're given a great gift or forgiven this huge debt, it should overwhelm you to the point of gratitude. And so the final an often hardest piece of repentance is obedience. So this, true measure, this is the true measure of how deep the love of Jesus has infiltrated our hearts and our lives because in response to confessing our wrongdoing, giving God the praise, acknowledging him for what he's done, it should lead us to action. It should lead us to do something differently, to turn from a sin we've previously committed and work to make things right. It doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect all the time. Like repenting doesn't mean I'm never going to do that sin again. It just literally means I've been inflicted with such deep regret and remorse that I was headed this way. Now I'm going this way. That's repentance, a complete 180 in our lives. We obey not to receive forgiveness, but we obey because we have been forgiven, because God has shown us mercy and shown us grace. And in the story of David, his confession and thankful heart lead him to change his actions, to seek to make right all that he'd made wrong with lust and murder and lies. And again, while he had to live with the earthly consequences, war in his household forever, ultimately his soul found right standing before God because he chose to live differently. Now, in our story, Jonah obeys God to a point. But again, knowing where this story is going, the obedience is kind of this half-hearted obedience. Because uh, again, I don't want to steal what's the thunder from what's coming. But if you read on, like Jonah kind of sandbags the sermon he was supposed to go give to Nineveh. And he preaches this five-word sermon in Hebrew. And what the, the greatest irony of this whole story is God uses this five-word sermon to cut the hearts of Nineveh. And this entire city repents. Now, just for the record, my sermon transcript tonight was 3,600 words. And Jonah's was apparently five, and he saved a little over 100,000 people. I'm not sure that that's going to get this accomplished, and I'm sorry that my sermon is so much longer than his, and I'm not as proficient, apparently, with words as Jonah. But, like, Jonah was given sign after sign. Like, he was, you know, he chose to run. Like, God spoke to him and said, hey, go do this thing. And he was like, nope. And so he chose to run. That didn't work, so he got thrown overboard. You would think at that moment, nope, didn't work. But then God, like, you know, calls the fish, like, these big bombastic miracles and Jonah's like nope spits him out sends him here sends him to one of the most hostile cities on planet earth at that time and brings Jonah out alive after preaching a very controversial five-word sermon you would think that would get Jonah's attention no does not but then in like complete 
like this is like genius writing because in complete up the opposite direction of like all these big miracles, wondrous things, like five half-hearted words in Hebrew. And like God does this amazing work at getting this city to fall to its knees in true repentance. Oh, and don't forget about the cows. If, when you read chapter four, you'll get it. So to, so to kind of wrap up and kind of put a bow on all this tonight, uh, when we truly repent, when we confess our sins, we thank God for his salvation, we obey his teaching, God offers not only eternal life, but a life filled with the blessing of watching him transform our hearts and the hearts of those around us. We get to be a part of the kingdom work that God is doing here on the earth. We get to be a part of that story that he is writing here and now. But when we miss any of those three elements, if you want to toss those three words back up uh, on the screen, we miss out on any of these pieces of repentance. And we're going to end up a little bit off course. You know, if we're thankful and we obey, but we don't really truly confess, like we don't own up to our piece of the problem, we're going to live with this hidden disease in our lives that's going to slowly rot our soul and lead us further and further from God. And if we confess and obey, but we don't really give praise to God, like we, you know, we acknowledge that we've sinned and we've messed up, but then we just, you know, turn and try to do better this time, you know, that whole, like, I'm going to try to do better this time, but like, we become these self-righteous people who become prideful and live out of our own strength and pride, ultimately headed for doom. And if we confess and praise God, but we don't obey, we don't change, we're just going to keep running in circles wasting so much potential, not truly accepting that great commission call that Jesus gave to his disciples to be a better disciple and to make better disciples and to obey the teachings of Jesus. We are missing out on God's promises. And so to close tonight, I, I just want to lead us in a little moment of reflection as we, uh, as we reflect on this text and we reflect on our own personal lives because ultimately all of the Old Testament, the entire Bible all points to Jesus. And this story of Jonah is no different. And you know, I mentioned earlier how this, the whale, it's a sign of God's mercy in his life, in Jonah's life. As Tim Mackey calls it, uh, one of the Bible Project uh, editors and speakers, you know, he calls it the severe mercy in Jonah's life. You know, and maybe you've had those moments where there's this like, you're, you're making some choices and you're headed down this path and you, you run into this, you know, God sends the storm or this wake-up call moment or this thing, you know, whether it may not be literally getting thrown overboard in a ship, but you get caught, you get called out, you're brought to this moment, and you have this opportunity in that moment to let that thing be a storm and, like, grumble about it and try to, like, hide and move on, kind of like Jonah did half-heartedly. Or you can let that storm, let that moment be a come-to-Jesus moment and let it become a severe mercy in your life. And so in Matthew 12, Jesus is recorded as saying these words. He said, um, he's talking with the Pharisees. Uh, then some of the scribes and Pharisees told Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he replied to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves a sign, yet no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Because just as Jonah was in the stomach of the sea creature for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. See, God's severe act of mercy towards us is Jesus. It's the cross. 
It's the empty tomb. And if you don't know Jesus, if, if you're here tonight and this is like the first time you're hearing about it, or maybe you've been coming a little bit and like you're just kind of beginning to piece these things together, this is a great opportunity tonight to be like, listen, we're, we're all on like level playing field here before the cross. Like none of us in this room is perfect. No one here is without sin, me least of all. And so if you're here tonight and you're like, man, God is just tugging at something. Like there is just something in my life that is just, I, I find myself isolated, alone, anxious, depressed, whatever it is, whatever that thing is that is pulling you away from community, from other people, and from the Lord. Like this is an opportunity tonight to confess that to Jesus, to begin with that prayer to Jesus and just release that and begin this process of repentance tonight. And for all of us, if you've been following Jesus your whole life, like there's always something going on in our lives that we need to confess and repent for. Like none of us are perfect. Like every day there is something that we just need to resubmit ourselves to the feet of Jesus and say, man, again, here I am again running in circles. God, would you help me? And so I'm gonna lead us in just a moment to reflect on those things in our own lives. And so I'm gonna give you space to pray on your own. I'm gonna lead through some prompts Take a moment and just on your own pray. And then I'm going to close this out afterwards. And we're going to spend some time just worshiping and responding to God's goodness and his mercy in our lives. And hey, if, if that is you tonight, if you don't know Jesus and you, or you feel like God's tugging on you, you need to talk to somebody. Like whether it's Steph or Ben, myself, Joe, any of the leaders afterwards, we would love to talk to you more about that and to help you process through whatever it is that God is trying to do in your life tonight. So Lord, we confess that we are sinful and broken people in need of a Savior. Would you speak to us now in this room? What do we need to confess to you and lay at your feet tonight? Jesus, it is not by our own power or ability that we save ourselves. It is only by your severe mercy found through the sacrifice of Jesus that we have hope and we have life. So we just want to take a moment right now to say thank you for how we have specifically seen that mercy at work in our lives. And Lord, to complete our repentance as we have confessed to you and we've offered our gratitude, would you show us, would you speak to us what the next right thing is we need to do to repent and walk in obedience? Jesus, we are so grateful for this space tonight to be in your presence. God, I pray for the hearts of those here who have yet to accept you as Lord and Savior in their lives. God, I know that you are tugging at them tonight. There is a reason that they are here. So God, would you continue that work in their lives tonight? And God, for all of us who have maybe called you Lord and Savior for all of our lives, God, we need that renewal in our hearts daily, that new mercy every morning. So God, would you remind us that you were giving that to us tonight here in this space? God, I thank you for the words in the book of Jonah. God, they're so hilarious. They're so sorrowful. It's just, it's sad to see the character of Jonah behave the way he does. But God, there is something for the, us in that story. So God, would you use the folly of Jonah to teach us and to grow us to be better disciples and followers of you tonight. God, in those, those three steps to confess our sins, to be grateful for what you've given us and to turn in obedience. God, they seem so simple and like, duh, but man, we, like the, the comparison in Scripture to people being sheep is so accurate because as simple as they are, we so often forget or just simply choose not to do them. So God, would you renew our focus on confession? Would you renew our focus on gratitude? And would you renew our commitment to walk in obedience? 
Jesus, as we respond in worship now, would you help us process in our hearts what you are speaking to us? And as we go from this place tonight in just a little bit, would you help us to walk in obedience with your word? In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to worship some more now. But first, I would like to read a little bit from Ephesians 2. Um, one thing that Quentin said that really hit me hard, um, gratitude is circumstantial without repentance. If we do not recognize the depth of what we have been saved from, we cannot even scratch the surface of what God has done for us. And we can't fully understand that anyways, but I believe that the only way that we can be truly grateful and truly express our gratitude is to recognize what God has saved us from. So I'm going to read this real quick. Um, might be kind of hard because I've got two hands and need three. Hold on. No, I got it. I got it. Okay. All right. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And that is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So as we sing this next song, fittingly called Gratitude, I want you guys to think of that but God. What you were living in, but God. But God saved you. Okay, so would you join with me in singing? 